Welcome to Diversity Conversations, where we engage in thought-provoking dialogue to identify leadership solutions to today's most challenging conflicts. Stream live each week, Saturday, 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m., hosted by diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist and CEOs Eric Ellis and Tommy Lewis. Join us and add your voice to this engaging diversity conversation. Good morning, Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, the United States, and the world. My name is Eric Ellis. I'm the president and CEO of Integrity Development Corporation, and I'm joined this morning by my good friend and brother. Tommy Lewis, president and CEO of Make It Plain Consulting. Hey, good morning, Eric. Good morning, Tommy. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Man, I'm noticing I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. Well, what a- what I'm going to have to do, uh, you know, after I share my introduction, of course, right. I'm going to step out and let and our guests be in the center Here's how we do. Amen. But it's good to be with you this morning, Eric. And uh, I'll jump in real quick with my week. And I'd love to hear about your week. It's been a pretty aggressive week this week, Eric. Uh, we're working with a couple of clients and we're doing a number of uh, climate assessments. And mm. so, so this week, I conducted uh, 73 interviews, okay. 73 interviews that, that last between 30 and 60 minutes. So oh. what that looked like, beginning at 7 a.m., going all the way to about 8 p.m., almost every hour on the hour, right? Brother, and, I hope you saved some words for us today, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And the thing is, in my... My eagerness to service the client, which we did, right. I'm like, yeah, I can fill my whole day, you know, with these interviews because I don't do a lot of talking, just a right. series of questions, et cetera. What I did notice was uh, attention fatigue, mm. attention fatigue. So having a conversation is not only about talking, it's also about listening and active listening for me takes a lot of energy. It right? does. So after that 10th interview, I was like, man, I am beat, right? right? I'm beat. You know, it's easier just to talk, 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 and expand that energy. But when you're actively listening, not only to the words of someone else, but also their energy, because they were spilling their energy, right? Their their happiness, their, their victories, as well as their frustrations and concerns. And so I was able to, uh, whether that the good news is, is that uh, I have a have a software that records uh, audio and immediately transcribes that audio into a Word document. Mm. So I didn't have to really listen and write and respond. I was just having a conversation. And that's what I'm looking for with today. Eric, how was your week, my friend? Uh, Tommy had a great week, man. Again, I uh, did some of the same things. Uh, I uh, was uh, uh, doing some research with a couple of our clients. We've got a couple of cultural assessments going on. Uh, it's powerful to be able to learn from uh, you know all the different clients that we're working with, uh, to be able to sort of conduct a number of uh, intercultural developmental inventories. We're qualified administrators in the IDIs, so I had a chance to do that. Uh, Dr. Reggie Crane is joining us this morning. Uh, he is uh, 
with the uh, with AFTEC, uh, the Air Force. We're going to talk more about that. Had a chance to spend some time with him uh, this week and uh, his commander and some of the leadership there at the Air Force. Uh, Tommy, I'm just delighted, man, as still passionate, excited about this work that we are doing, man. And when you see organizations, some of them that are really eagerly trying to do the right thing, uh, you know, that's uh, that's inspiring. Uh, we are also in the midst of uh, designing and launching our asynchronous training. So we're going to have sort of digital, sort of 12 digital classes that will be available. You know, those are the kind of things, Tommy, that yeah, I don't know about you, but I know I've resisted those over the years, man, because I just see so often so much of the online training is kind of weak anyway. And it oftentimes feels like organizations are not really willing to commit themselves to this work. But as you know, uh, when change happens, you've got to catch that train sometime yeah. and be able to provide people with solutions around the clock. And this is what I love about my faith is that when you have faith, Tommy, you don't always have to have the answers. Mm. When you have faith, sometimes you can just allow God to order your Come steps. Come on. And the pandemic set me, it's almost like my pandemic. God set a pandemic loose so that we might be able to break out of some patterns and some paradigms that were locking us in place. And you and I have pivoted, uh, you know, quickly uh, to digital solutions, man. So uh, working with my team on designing those things, Tommy, it almost will bring tears to your eyes when you can physically see progress mm. happening, man. So I'm excited. It's, it's not even about selling all of those. It's about accomplishing something, you know, and here was the sweetest sound. I'm going to tell you the sweetest sound I heard. <laughs> the sweetest sound I heard was from the missus when she said, wow. I was like, what? I mean, mama never give out no wows, Dr. Crane. I mean, mama ain't giving out no wows, bro. It's always like, nah, well, uh, uh, it's okay. Give about 3,000 more feedback, you know. But that's what God blessed me with her. And God showed me that one day, said, look, if you start partnering with your wife and listening to her, and so we're doing similar things, and so we really are iron sharpening iron every day. But the, but to get that wow from her, man, it might have been one of the biggest things that uh, that I got. Uh, Dr. Crane, why don't you just say a few words about who you are and maybe talk about your week, and then we're going to launch into uh, talking about more about you and your background and you know and work in the uh, in the military. Great, great. Well, thanks for having me, first of all, Eric. Uh, pleasure, and, and good to meet you guys in person, uh, at least virtually in person here. Um, Reggie Crane, I um, uh, retired Air Force. I did 30 years, um, primarily in financial management and then leadership development, uh, and uh, traveled all over the world. I spent about 12 years in Europe, uh, which was really eye-opening. Uh, it's my first time I realized that um, the whole world didn't see things the same way that we saw things in this country, right? Which was pretty interesting uh, in and of itself. Uh, and so um, I retired from the Air Force uh, back in 2006 and got really fortunate. Um, had a friend that had went to work for Booz Allen Hamilton as an OD consultant. And he said, look, uh, what are you going to do when you get out? And I said, I know what I want to do. I'm just not quite sure I wanted, where I want to do it at. He said, well, have you thought about Booz Allen? And in my ignorance, I said, well, who's Booz Allen, right? Right. right. I had no idea. And he right. said, well, I'll set up a meeting. We'll come and we'll have a conversation. Yeah. We went. 
uh, I like what they had to say. They like what I, I brought to the table. And so I went right from the Air Force into Booz Allen, which was um, a blessing, man, because I, I, I knew how to do a lot of things, but I knew how to do a lot of things. And it was very laborious, right? Uh, it took a lot of time to get it done. Booz Allen helped me to kind of smooth the edges out. <laughs> snap, snap, snap. Let's get it done. Yeah, yeah. So uh did that for about three years. And I realized that uh, although it was a great firm to work for, my vision was to have my own business and work on helping people communicate more effectively together. So I resigned from Booz Allen, started my own business. Uh, and then when I got into my dissertation, the travel was just really hard. I couldn't keep up. Right. So I said, let me try to find something local because I still wanted to work while I was going to school. And I found Aftac, uh, went in, interviewed. Uh, it was probably one of the my only interview of my entire life. Right. And I walked in and the guy said, uh, well, uh, how would you approach this work? <laughs> and he just sat down. <laughs> And so I had a business model, right, that I was using. So I walked him through my business model. He said, well, uh, I like it. Hopefully you'll get hired. And I got hired, man. I've been there ever since, man, and doing some really good work. Uh, and that's how I met you, Eric. Uh, um, so uh, I'm just, uh, you know, blessed, man. Uh, married uh, for 36 years now. Uh, two sons. Uh, one is in L.A. Uh, he's came in the Air Force, did his four years, got out, took his uh, his. Uh, degree uh gi bill rather went to la film school and he's trying to be the next spielberg right now uh yeah another son who was always trying to find the shortcuts in life uh and is still trying to find the shortcuts in life uh, battling with addiction and those kind of things and so uh, i'm praying for him i love him but um he's got to find his way right i'm trying to help him do that um And so uh, beyond that, man, I'm just uh, I'm just really uh, just just blessed, man, to be able to do the work that I think the good Lord sent me here to do and and to meet people and continue to to, to enhance how I do that work and how I engage people. Right. We're going to have to uh, connect our sons in L.A. because I've got a son in L.A. that's doing music out there. So and he's got uh, one of his songs, I think, is going to be on the show, The Shy. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's going to happen. Why don't you talk about just a minute about the work that we've done together and how we met? Yeah, well, we, um, one of the things, I've been in Aftec now in this job for about four and a half years. And when I got there, um, the person before me had a lot of great ideas, but not a whole lot of experience. And so not a whole lot of things happened. Mm-hmm. And so because I had experience, I came in and I laid out a strategy and they put money behind it. And so we started trying to do things to create a framework in the organization where we could have some common languages. We, we tried to get the entire organization through MBTI, the Myers-Briggs type indicator uh, as a start. Uh, and then we have a lot of different personality assessments that we use. Uh, and so we got to a point where that was working out well. And then uh, George Floyd's murder happened, right? And that created this knee-jerk reaction to have conversations and a lot of people goodwilled didn't know how to have those conversations but felt like they had to do it and so there was some some really challenging moments in terms of trying to figure out how to do that and so uh, we had a dni person on board and we had brought someone in a couple years earlier who had done some dni training for us and we brought them back thinking they could help out with this situation and it didn't it didn't work uh, because they came back with the same thing 
and tried to just force that in as opposed to understanding what was going on. Well, lo and behold, um, uh, we had a colleague at the gig who knew Eric and, and brought Eric in and he kind of went in the phone booth and came out with his cake one, flew in. And started having these focus groups with us, right? And I had the privilege of sitting in on each one of those focus groups. And I got to tell you, um, I learned so much about the organization that I didn't know. And I learned that there's a way that you have to be with people to enable people to share with you what they really want to share. And I watched Eric do this. And I told him this already. He did it masterfully, right? And it was almost effortlessly. And these people didn't even know him, right? I mean, and, and this, this is a very introverted organization, just to give you some background, Tommy. Um, they don't talk much to people and they just kind of opened up and just kind of shared. And I was sitting there taking notes. And and so the goal was that he'd come back and he'd um, give us a brief, let us know what was going on. And that got delayed, right? Until just recently, I kept putting the bug in the, in the director's ear. I said, look, we can't, we can't move forward with trying to create a strategy until we make sure that we know what came out of those focus groups because there are people who are waiting to find out what we're going to do with that information right and so uh we we able to we get, get it done brought eric back uh this week and uh, we actually had the conversation and so right now we're about to hire a dni manager um one of the challenges with that is uh there's no background there and there's no experience with that and so my strategy is to try to figure out a way to not relitigate the hire, but say, okay, how can we set this lady up for success before right. she gets started and has has failures, right? So uh, we're going to be looking at trying to find a way to get Eric to help us out with that. I'll tell you, and uh, thank thank you for that, uh, Dr. Crane. And I want to share this too, Tommy. You can relate with this completely. How important, Tommy, is it for us to find an ally within the organizations mm. that we're working with? somebody who really uh go ahead you can respond to that how, how important is that well it, it's it's actually invaluable eric dr crane it's invaluable and so why do i say it's invaluable uh because that champion that ally within the organization oftentimes has you know played their ear has been to the to the ground uh, they've been the fly on the wall, if you will. In other words, they, they know some things that are not on the website. They're not mm -hmm. on the company memo. It really speaks to the culture of the organization, which is the how do we get things done? Mm -hmm. Or how do we not get things done? Right? Right. So there may be a big idea about having DE&I, but then there's that culture and subculture that says, yeah, we don't really want to do it, right? And so what Dr. Crane was mentioning is setting a person up or people up for success is that ally to be able to say, okay, here are the, here's the landmines, right? And those landmines, from my experience, can be literally catastrophic. In other words, I have seen people, human beings, hit uh, business landmines and it's impacted their entire life. That's right. What, that, that they go into a personal 
frustration, maybe even a depression mm -hmm. uh, because of, of their inability to achieve or succeed, but they hit that landmine when it came in the door. The ally would be able to say, watch your step. You know, watch your step. No, I know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> watch your step. Yeah. Right. I know you've been doing this for 30, 40 years. <laughs> this is a different organization. Yeah. Watch your step. And that's why I think the ally is important. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll share this as well, uh, Tommy. Dr. Crane, let's, let's put the emphasis on Dr. <laughs> Reginald Crane. Come on. Let's start there. Dr. Crane. So, he is an accomplished man himself. Uh, Booz Allen had his own consulting firm. Uh, Tommy, it's rare to find individuals like that who have enough humility and sight to be able to say, you know what? This brother brings something unique that we need. And I want all the community, anybody that's watching this, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. That uh, people are coming to him saying, hey, you, you got this. You got this yourself. And Dr. Reginald Crane is saying, you know what? I've sat in and watched this brother, and, and I think there's some things that he brings to the table that we need. Tommy, it's rare for you and I to run into that. People oh, yeah. that are willing to stand down mm -hmm. to uh, that can see and really value what you bring to the table and, and and have their own brilliance and still be a lifelong learner. I admire that. That's what I aspire to try to do too, Dr. Crane, is be that same kind of person, man, that is a lifelong learner, that has humility, that there's room in the world for my gifts and the gifts of everybody else. And that's who you are. And I just appreciate your championship because uh, Tommy, it's not easy to be a champion. Uh, and it certainly wasn't easy last year to be a champion of people talking about DEI, you know, because that was being paused and uh, it was, uh, could have been really easy, uh, Reggie, for you to walk away. Yeah. And the fact that you stuck with it, you kept putting bugs in people's ears. I want to say how grateful I am how honorable that is, man, real special. I'll say this real quick, because I know we're gonna get into the discussion and, and this is about Dr. Crane, right? And getting his thoughts and reaction. Um, I'll say this, that when Dr. Crane was introducing himself, uh, full transparency, uh, there, there's a cadence that I have when I speak. And even in a conversation, I may say things like, yeah, I, I got you. Uh-huh. I'll follow you. Yeah, I'll follow you. Yeah, I'm with you. I found myself listening to Dr. Crane introducing himself, and I was constantly saying, yeah, I'll follow you. Oh, this is easy to follow. Yeah, I'll follow you. I'm with you. It was his cadence, his rhythm, that my mind said, follow him. Let me say that as a leader, and I know Dr. Crane is a leader. Why do why did my brain say I can follow him? Because my heart says I know I can. Right. I can trust him. I can trust him. That's important because look, look, there's a lot of leaders out here that have no integrity. They, they come they on have now. No heart. They have no 
a lot of things, right? They, their objectives and motives may be actually counterproductive to, than their followers, right? right? But when you have confidence, as I do, in waiting to listen to what Dr. Crane has to say, I have trust, I have faith, and I feel, hear me now, I feel mm. secure. I feel secure in an organization, in a family. People want to feel secure. Do you have me? And I'm sitting here with Dr. Crane, Eric Ellis. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I can make a mistake this morning. You know, I can stumble over a word or two or three, which I will. Um, but I, I'll follow him. And like you said, Eric, that, that Dr. Crane means learned, right? Means experienced, means wisdom, and it means a student for life. So the leader is also a student. The follower is also the teacher. So I'm here to be taught this morning. I love it. Uh, Reggie, you, I, you, if you got any comments, man, I see you there thinking through some things. We, 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 we showering some love back at you yes. because you are what God created you to be. And whether you receive appreciation on a regular basis, Tommy Lewis and I are here this morning to say, well done, brother. You're getting it done, man. You are representing and we are proud of you uh, and your service. Uh, to our country, uh, your service uh, to the military, your service uh, to your people, uh, your service to the broader community, man. It's honorable. Yeah. I'm, I'm just humble, man. I, uh, excuse me. Yeah, it's yeah. all right. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, we thank God for you, man. Yes. Yeah. We really do. Yeah. Tears are a common thing here, brother. We don't mind it at all, you know. <laughs> I love to cry, you know. Yes. My, you. my grandfather, my grandfather was a farmer. Uh, he never cries like a man of steel. But when he he waited until he got to be an old man in a nursing home uh, to finally start, you know, letting tears all the tears that he had bottled up his whole life, he was now letting them flow. I don't save none like that. Yes. Uh, every time I think about my family, every time I think about people that I care about, man, it's a it's a it's an honorable place to be that you can feel enough in life to shed tears. So we we are blessed by that as well. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you. I mean, really thank you, man. Uh, we, um, I was having a conversation uh, a couple of years back with some folks that I retired with and we still stay connected. And um, and we said, why don't we stay connected, man, after all this time? I mean, we met at one base in Massachusetts and then we departed, but we always stay connected. And see, I said, man, um, we we met at the base in Boston. We were all relatively young in the military, right? Making mistakes, man. Um, you know, recovering, helping each other, man. You know, right. when we got in trouble, you know, look, man, I'm here for you, man. <laughs> you want to talk about it, man? And it was almost like going through a university together, man, because it was this major introduction to the military, and and we got through it. And then we all got through it and went on to have successful careers in the military and post. And my friend in D.C. said, man, he said, look, um, he said, we probably never told you this, man. But back in Hanscom, you know, we all tried to be like you. Mm. And I said, you know what? 
it's funny, man, because I always try to be like, you know, <laughs> you know I, I never forget uh, one of these guys. Um, I went into his room one day and we talk about the power of seeing people who look like you doing certain things. Right. And he had a, a black enterprise magazine on, on his desk. I had no idea what black enterprise was. Right. I picked it up, you know, saw Earl Graves, flipped through it. I think at the time, I think it was Kenneth Chenault that was being featured in, right? Right. Yeah, I remember that issue. Yeah, and it was Ann Fudge. I'm, I'm looking at these people, right? And, right? and I'm reading about them. And these are not just people that are just getting things done. These are pioneering people, man, that are at the highest level of the game. And I had no idea who they were. Mm. And so at that point in time, it was in that moment, and I told my friend, I said, in that moment, man, I started to believe that if I wanted to have my own business, I could, I could, because there were folks already doing it, right? And so I, 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 th I think the whole idea, man, is that when you're blessed, right, to have relationships, man, people that, 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 that will tell you the truth, right? And sometimes the truth is not easy to tell you, but we'll look you in the eye and say, man, I love you, Reg, but man, you're going the wrong way, brother. You're going yeah. the wrong way. And you're going, to be, you're going to be mad at me for a little while, and that's okay. And give you a hug, man, and walk away and make you think about it, man. Uh, so I've been really, really blessed with having people in my life, man, that um, have kind of looked at me and saw things I didn't see in myself uh, and whispered in my ear and say, look, man, you know, here is something that's there for you uh, if you want to claim it. Uh, and as the Bible says, speak it so, right? Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been fortunate, man. And I'm just really, I, I mean, I'm really just pleased beyond words, man, of sitting here with, with you two gentlemen today. I can't tell you how it warms my heart to be here. Well, let me start here. And uh, because before there was Dr. Reggie Crane, before there was Chief Master Sergeant uh, Crane, uh, there was uh, Reggie that grew up in your family. Yes. And so maybe we uh, can start by you just telling us a little bit about how you were raised and what were some of the messages that you learned that sort of helped to develop the philosophy and the character that we see today? Well, it, it, it goes to my grandfather, man. Um, I was his first grandson. And so uh, we lived in Jacksonville, Florida. He lived in New York City. So every summer he would come get me and take me back to New York, right? Uh, he was a minister. Um, and so I spent a whole lot of my formative years with him, man, and just watching how he moved through life, how the people in this church, the elderly folks, man, just totally trusted him to handle their financial affairs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how he would uh, on Saturdays, he'd organize where the church would, would sell dinners to help pay bills. I would go out and deliver the dinners, right? And I didn't think about it at that time, but I was going into places, man, that I probably should have been a little nervous about going into. Having a pocket full You're of taking money. meals in, right? Okay, right. But it just worked out, man. And so I, I just, he was a role model for me, man. I, I, I recall. Like every other kid, you know, I was mischievous. I was getting into things. But there was always this line that I said, you know what, man, if you cross this line and, and you got to look your grandfather in the eye, how would you do that? And that always kind of made me say, you know what, fellas, 
I got to go back from here. I'm, I've, 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 I've got close enough to this line where I can't cross that line, man, because I just can't look my granddad in the eye, man, and tell him, man. And um, as I was in the military, he actually traveled around to every base that uh, that I was at. And um, before he passed away, he actually got in his car, man, made a trip around to see everybody he wanted to see. And um, we kind of knew that there was a message in there. And he got back to New York uh, and um, went to the hospital. Uh, and uh, they brought him home to kind of finish out his last couple of days. I went up to see him. And um, while he was there, you know, my uncle said, look, man, we need for you to go pick up this last dose of morphine uh, because this will be the last one that we give him. And I recall I wanted to get that medication, man. And on the, the subway ride back, I actually passed my stop. I didn't want to get off because I knew that the end was coming, but somehow I felt like I was going to be contributing to that. And, um, and I, I still struggle, struggle with that sometimes, man. Uh, but you know, the, the long story short, it was, it was him, man. Uh, my mom, she had a lot of vision, man. She had big ideas. My dad was just a real workaholic. They couldn't survive the marriage, but it was almost like they were two sides of the same coin that really should have been able to, to, to kind of, you know, figure some things out. Right. But I was the beneficiary of that, right. Understand the power of vision and how the power of hard work. And it took me a while to kind of get those things balanced out. Um, but, you know, it, eventually it, it kind of did, man. And um, so I grew up in Jacksonville, um, uh, Florida. I was in the, I was in the band. I had three scholarships to go to college when I uh, finished high school. I was going to go to FAMU. Um, uh, I was in the drum section and I, I went down uh, to kind of check out the summer program one time. And uh, in practice, man, they had women lined up on the sideline for these guys. <laughs> I saw that. I said, you know what, man? You don't have the fortitude. Ah, I can't do it. I can't do it. You don't have the fortitude. You ain't going to make it. <laughs> and so I had a friend who had, he had the same scholarship, but he had gone to the Air Force. And he came back home that summer. He had a brand new car, a pocket full of money, uh, and some stories to tell. Uh, and then he said, he, he said the magic phrase, man. He said, look, Reg, they will yell at you, man. They will scream at you. They'll talk about your parents and everything, but they can't hit you, right? I'm <laughs> 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 in, man. <laughs> talk about your parents and everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. And, and so it was funny, man, because um, it was almost like I had I, I had a secret that nobody else knew about because I was seeing yeah, guys, yeah. man, crying and, and just really getting broken down, right? And, and I would be laughing. And so one day, this TI, it's a thing called if you make mistakes, they can set you back to day one, right? Oh. And you start, you start all over again. Right. And so this one day I was laughing, right? The TI came over and whispered in my ear. He said, Crane, um, you seem to find a whole Man, lost you just a little bit, Doc. Yeah, I think we may, yeah, he may have to go out and come back in. But he's on a roll anytime. Yeah, oh, definitely. Good story. Right. I, hopefully we can get him again. Uh, right. I, I'm sure we will. But right. he, he shared a couple things real quick, Eric, before he yeah. returns. He, he talked about the this line, right? Mm -hmm. The line that he established for himself based on the repercussions of someone else. His grandfather. Right. And I thought that that was profound that as we all right. think about what lines 
do we create for ourselves to lift up and honor the lessons that mm. someone else has taught us, right? right? Or, or the ramifications of letting someone else who has taught us, who has raised us, who has helped us develop, if they were to be ashamed or embarrassed. I think that, you know, based on my experience, that line has become more and more blurred, Eric, mm. where people are crossing the line, right? As, as Charlie Murphy said, the habitual line steppers. Mm. Those folks that continuously step over the line and never or very seldom fearing how they are shaming or embarrassing or, or frustrating people around them like the community, right? To this day, there are things that I don't do absolutely in public because I I am fearful that my late mother and father will be ashamed, mm. right? Mm. It's, a, it's a voice in my head, boy, don't, don't embarrass us. Right. And so that's part of my integrity. The, the other real quick, the other thing that he said, he, he was he was just talking about, um, you know, his, his friends giving him direction. Right. And sometimes that pill was not always uh, uh, easily received. But I will tell you that I I need those people in my life. Right. I, you know, in, in, in our community, too. I need that person to say, hey, you're going in the wrong direction in, right. in love. Right. This Those are right. some of the nuggets I took away from uh, Brother Red. Right. And I think the thing that we've uh, sort uh, certainly identified is the great humility uh, and, and, and lifelong learner attitude that Dr. Crane is demonstrating. I just think that that's it's a role model. It's great to see uh, you and I, Tommy. Uh, I, I know we appreciate each other. But we don't even oftentimes realize how important this conversation is to the others that are joining us in our community. Felicia, thank you for joining us today. Terry Cooley, I love you to death. Uh, Kendall Wright, I appreciate you, man. Love you. Uh, I want to certainly hear some of your comments as you uh, weigh in on this show today uh, as we're looking at trying to even celebrate uh, Memorial Day weekend and the service and sacrifice that people have made for us and our freedom. Uh, Tommy, I'll tell you, man, it's just uh, powerful to hear a person sort of, I love the grandfather connection, don't you? Yes. You know, just a preacher and, and just walking in his footsteps and watching him and doing things that help to shape you into who you are. And also being able to see the value of a mom and a dad that didn't, you know, weren't able to kind of stick it out with each other but him being able to see what he gained from both of their experiences, I think is powerful as well. You know, one thing I was going to ask him, because I love asking questions based on what I've just heard. Uh, I wanted to ask him about the, the cultural differences of being from Jacksonville, Florida, and also being kind of raised, if you will, in New York City. Right. Uh, and, and those could be very, very different cultures. Uh, and experiences in another themselves. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> You're saying something profound. Are you with us? Sometimes the internet speed can create problems for us. Yeah. Yeah. But as, as he's joining us, 
uh, and, and sometimes it happens. And we and this is this experience here. Uh, let's not be discouraged. Right. Uh, uh, this is part of the lesson, right? right? How do you? How do we respond to the events that happens in our lives? How right. do we respond, right? And, That's and exactly. I'll, in the response, Eric. Uh, a non-response is also a response. Right. Let me ask you this, Tommy. I want to just go back while he's while he's out and just talk about him a little bit more. Uh, Tommy, you know how difficult it is and how rare it is for you and I and Kendall, uh, others that do this work, to find a champion that's willing to go to bat for you yeah. within these organizations. Uh, you know, uh, the woman that brought me in, she moved on. And so, you know, a lot. And so there was then a lot of suspicion because it wasn't a great move on. So there's, you know, there's a lot of suspicion like, okay, what did she do before she got out of here? Oh, him, you know, get him up out of here too. I mean, you know, it could be like that. So it wasn't like it was a friendly environment to be championing me. But I remember back when he asked me, if it would be okay for him to sit in on, on those focus group interviews. And you know, you and I make a decision that if a person looks like they're healthy and they're not gonna be a distraction, then we wanna, yeah, that's fine. And man, him being a part of those, it was a great contribution. Let's see if he's uh, with us now. Dr. Reggie. Can we hear you? Looks like you're looking good. Yeah, looking looking great, looking great. Your microphone might be on mute. Let's see if you can. And, and this was a, a platform issue, I think, Eric. Yeah. The, yeah, the platform issue that I was having before uh, was unable right. to be seen or heard. Right. Right. So by no by no means is this uh, Dr. Crane. I think this right. is a platform right. issue. Right. And, and, right. And, and everybody may, may be on the platform this morning trying to dial in and watch the show, listen to the conversation. Right. You know, right. Uh, uh, you know, Mr. Right. Lee Wong has joined us. Thank you. Yes. Mr. Wong. Right. And, and you know, be, be, between the, uh, you know, the half a dozen or so that we can we can see on the screen, I think there may be close to a couple of million people trying to dial in to listen <laughs> to this conversation. Right. <laughs> we knew this day would come. Right. BET, <laughs> you should have got us a long time ago. Long in, time NBC, ago. ABC, look. CNN, we can't help you no more now. So, so Eric, I want to ask you a question, right? Yes, uh, as we look at Memorial Day, and as you know, mm -hmm. Dr. Crane had mentioned, kind of the one percent of our, our country that's kind of connected. Yeah, can you can you talk about your experience with uh, with people in your family or friends who have served in the military? Right. I've got a, a cousin, first cousin that served in the military. He was a Marine and he still lives his life with a lot of those values. I, I don't know if Brooke is still with us, but boy, we are having some technical challenges. Uh, but, uh, you know, like he said, it's a small number of people that, uh, quite frankly, uh, have served in the military. But usually I see a lot of uh, honor and humility and sometimes difficulty with uh, even speaking about some of their experiences. And I think it's so important for us to be able to hear from veterans and uh, and understand sort of what they've done, what that experience was like. 
Yeah, I have a I have a good friend of mine, uh, Daryl Hubbard. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, actually, he will retire uh, from uh, the Navy. Uh, uh, D Hub, as we affectionately call him, uh, was a, a classmate of mine, a best friend, a brother, uh, a teammate, a teammate, and he played on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage where I was on offense, he was on defense, and it, it was a joy for me to watch him. Uh, not only play football, but also go on, go on into the military and, and serve this country in a way that I was a little bit apprehensive myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And so with, you know, Dr. Crane and others who serve this country, there's a I think there's an inner motivation. Uh, it may be in the, on the beginning with the enlistment or it may be developed while they're in the military. Uh, but I always respect those who, uh, again, protect and serve this country, especially as, as someone has traveled outside of this country. And right. like Dr. Crane said, folks think differently. Right? right. Dr. Crane, are we with you? Can you guys hear me okay now? Yes, sir. Cold beans. <laughs> Where were you at in your conversation? I mean, we were right on the crust, crisp, uh, you know, crescent of something significant. I forget where we were, where you left off. Yeah, I, I think uh, it was just kind of culminating in uh, this whole idea about, um, you know, when I joined joined the Air Force uh, and why I joined, uh, and uh, when I was in, in basic training because I had this, I knew that they couldn't hit you. And so the, the language didn't bother me at all. And um, if you mess up in basic training, I don't care if you're at your last day of training, There's they can potentially send you back to your very first day to start all over again. Mm. And so because I was laughing a lot, uh, the TI came to me one day and he said, look, Crane, um, you seem to find a lot of things around here funny. How funny would it be if I set you back to day one? So I lost my sense of humor, man. <laughs> right. And just, what happened, what happened and, and, on your mind? Did you reflect on his power to do that? You said? Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the state of mind that I was in, I think I heard Tommy saying a few minutes ago something about, you know, folks joining. I joined the Air Force, man, two days before Thanksgiving. <laughs> so... So, you know, my, my thinking would, wasn't where it needed to be, man. I, don't get me wrong. They served a nice meal in basic training, but it wasn't like the meal I left home. <laughs> right. We, we, we have several other veterans that are on with us uh, as well, Dr. Crane. Uh, Kendall Wright, yeah, Kendall Wright is a consultant. He does what Tommy and I do. He's been on the show. You know, he joins us in the community uh, each week. A uh, brilliant brother just came out with a new book. We'll have to make sure we get you a copy of that. Oh, please, please do. Yeah. yeah Chip Soul and uh, powerful, powerful brother. And then we also have Lee Wong is joining us as well. Uh, you know, he served uh, uh, in the military. Uh, uh, video uh, went went viral. He's also the chairman of the Board of Trustees in uh, uh, Westchester, Ohio. Oh, wow. And uh, so he was at... Uh, you know, a meeting, uh, you know, a few months ago and ended up raising his shirt to show people the scars that he had received while serving and said, basically, is this American enough? Because mm. people are disparaging uh, him and attacking him, you know, uh, 
you know, as, as though he's not, uh, you know, committed a patriot to this country. And so he uh, wanted to demonstrate that. And so I think that'd be another great person to be connected with. So we are fortunate to have uh, so many of our community are, are, are great people of leadership and service to this country. Why don't you share with us just a little bit about your military experience? Because people of color, that's a kind of a different mindset and experience as well. I was telling Tommy that we uh, you know, you say less than 1%, uh, you know, of people, you know, have served. And so it's not always that people see or know anybody that yeah. served. What is it that makes a person, uh, made you decide that you wanted to uh, serve this country in that way? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, in, in full transparency, um, I'm not sure that that was my mindset initially when I joined. Um I knew that I wanted to um, to be engaged. Uh, I knew I wanted to to be on my own, uh, make my own money. Um, and I had a buddy who had gone in and he showed me the way. Right. That's right. So I did that. And I mean, I, I raised my hand. And I took the oath. But it really didn't. It didn't really mean a whole lot. I didn't really understand it. Right. Right. And, and it wasn't until I had been in probably close to about eight, nine years that I had gotten um, uh, selected to go into an area where there was some things going on, right? Uh, and so when that happened, I recall I didn't, I wasn't afraid to go, but my thinking right away was, okay, it's a serious business now. All my affairs in order. I actually called my dad and said, look, um, I don't want to alarm you, but if something happens to me, I've got everything lined up, life insurance and all those things, my wife is going to need some help in terms of trying to navigate this, right? He didn't want to have the conversation because I think at that point in time, he finally realized, or maybe for the first time realized that I was in the military. And, and so it, it took a while, but once, once that happened, my whole paradigm shifted in terms of what I was doing and why I was doing it. You know, the, the Air Force, uh, just for a little uh, context, it, it, it's a little different, right? Like I, I have lots of friends that are in the Army, Marines and the Navy. And with the Air Force, you come into a job and then you learn a war fighting skill that you do only if you have to go and do that. I think when you come into the Army and you come into the Marines, you come in as a Marine, as a soldier first, and then you learn a, a job on the other side of that. And so. The whole context, right, it, it was just different, right? Um, and, and so, you know, when I came in, um, you know, it was just uh, what, 70, 77 is when I went in, uh, just on the heels of folks from the Vietnam era kind of moving out. And uh, the first and only time in my entire life somebody ever looked me in the eye and called me the N-word was in the Air Force. Um, and, I, and I didn't know how to process that, right, because it never happened before. Right. And I said, I'm in this organization now and, and this is what happened. And so I called my dad. I said, look, man, this may not be the place for me because I don't know how rampant this is. Right. Mm -hmm. So he said, look, man, you got to stick it out, you know, and, and, and I did. So I left there and I go to my first base. And hold I, on just a second. Can, yeah. can you give us just a little bit more about that N-word <laughs> So we just well, well, a shot. It would help people to get a little bit of context on how, who, 
Yeah. So, so what happened uh, in, um, in, it was in training. I was, I, was, I was going to school to learn how to be a Morse code operator, copying bits and dots. That was an experience within itself as well. Right. And so um, they start you off learning how to be leaders in the school. And they got a, a process called the rope process, right? We had different color ropes. And that means that you have different levels of responsibility. So the red rope was the ultimate organization of leaders. I was a red rope. So one of my jobs was to walk around and make sure that all the details were done, especially on Friday, because Friday afternoon, we got a chance to kind of go out and kind of, you know, enjoy ourselves. Right. So I was walking around that morning and the bathroom floors were not mopped yet. And I knew they had to be mopped by a certain time. So I went to the guy, Ronnie Cantrell, <laughs> his name is still burned in my brain. Right. And I said, Ronnie, look, um, we need to get the bathroom floors mopped, man, because we've got to get it done in a certain amount of time. And so Ronnie looked me straight in the eye, man. He said, look, don't know a nigga tell me what to do, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what else to do, right? And so we started rolling around the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and so right. the, the, the sergeant came in and he, he broke us up. He took us down to the office and he said, okay, look, Tell me what happened. So we're both trying to tell our stories at the same time. He says, okay, look, stop. I uh, said, Crane, what happened? And I said, well, look, this is the deal, man. This is what happened. And the other guy, she started trying to say he didn't say it right. And so uh, the sergeant sent the other guy out. And, and the sergeant was a white guy. He said, look, man, Crane, I like you. You got a future in the Air Force. He said, but here's the thing, man. You cannot go around settling situations by putting your hands on people because it just doesn't work that way. He said, I cannot tell you what it must have felt like when that person called you the N-word because I don't know what that feels like. He said, but you have to learn some other ways of dealing with that because the way you dealt with it is not going to allow you to be in the Air Force long. And so, you know, I I mean, I really understood what he was saying, but I didn't have any other tools available. I was just in the Air Force, just out of high school. uh, And so all all I knew is what I knew. uh, But that was probably the beginning of me starting to understand that I was no longer this kid in high school. I was in this machine now that I needed to understand how to navigate and in navigating that everything was not going to go as smoothly as I would like for it to go. But I needed to figure something out because if I don't figure something out, then I'll have to leave here and go someplace else and do something else. Pause just a second there. That's a huge learning. I'm so glad we went back to get to there. Uh, Tommy, and I'm going to ask you to weigh in on this too. Uh, you're saying something to all of us. You're saying something to our children that we have to sometimes not allow words and other people to have power over our behavior and our actions. And in many ways, we've determined that all of us uh, have determined when the N-word hits the fan, then fist and rumbling in the floor is the only response that you can chase that with. And you're saying to us that a white man, and I love the way all of that happened because he didn't just come as a callous, not, you know, he said, look, I don't really understand how that felt. And so I'm not trying to say that, you know, that your anger and all that's not justified. But he says to be successful here, you're going to have to come up with some other options. Wow. Yeah. 
And I think that that happens too often with our young people. Sometimes, uh, uh, Dr. Reggie, when they go to college and they, 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 they're their own scholarship, mm. and they come back to the neighborhood and somebody says something crazy to them and they think they, they don't have a choice but to respond in ways that will disqualify their future. So yeah. there's something in that I think that we have to learn. Tommy. Yeah, I think that uh, one other thing I will call out that Dr. Crane had said a couple to a few times that that was his his only tool he had, mm. right? And that's self-awareness, self-reflection. The reason because when we're in our moment, whatever that is, that year, we have what we have. If we do not have self-reflection, self-awareness, we may not identify that we don't have all the tools. <laughs> yeah. So at 18, we think we have all the tools. <laughs> right. Right. And then we become 25, God willing. And we realize that, you know, we have most of the tools and then we become 35 or 40. You know, we, we got a handful of tools and then you get 60 and 70 and realize, man, I got about three strong tools. <laughs> right. It's, it's come full circle as I continue to add tools to my toolkit. Those tools are only helpful for those problems that need the fix with that tool. Mm. That problem is a is it in yesteryear. Mm. What are the tools that we need today that we either have to borrow from someone else, as I'm borrowing some tools from Dr. Crane this morning, or we have to kind of piecemeal our tool together, right? Because again, COVID pandemic last year and even this year, uh, that was a problem that I would say a lot of people didn't have the tools for. Yeah, that's right. That's even right. if they were 60 or 70 or 80 years old, let alone 15 or 18 or 20. Right. So my question to Dr. Crane is, in your experience and wisdom today, uh, what are some of the tools that you lean on to help others become leaders? The, the very first tool, uh, it, it goes back to what you just said, Tommy, about self-awareness, right? Um, I think everybody, you know, travels their own journey, right? And your journey is your journey. And I don't criticize anybody for the journey that you travel, but the journey that you travel and this has brought you here, how you show up, right? Yeah. Is important as a leader because how you show up is going to have an impact on the results that you're able to get uh, and if you're showing up in a way where you're not getting the result that you want then you got to be open to the idea of showing up a little differently uh, and you know one of the things um, we use quite a few personality assessments uh, and we don't use those as the be all to end all but we use them as a doorway into being able to have a broader conversation. Uh, like when we, as an example, when we use uh, the Myers-Briggs type indicator, right? And we got the dichotomy of TF, thinking and feeling in terms of how folks make decisions. Well, there's nothing wrong with making decisions based on logic as a thinking decider, uh, but every decision so, so focused on just the logic of it and not considering the people piece of that 
it doesn't allow you to make the best decision that you can. Right. And so I work in an organization, and it's not just this organization, it's God's right. all over, right. man. People, right. because folks, in fairness, people are trying to make rational, logical decisions to get things done. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a part of their journey that they've traveled where this is kind of how we go about doing. So when I started introducing the MBTI to the organization and people started to understand because there was this misconception, right, that if you are a F or a feeling decider, that meant that you were soft and you were you were mushy and you couldn't really make the tough calls. And once they realized that, no, 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 no. This is limited to how you make decisions, right? Do you make them from a, mm -hmm. a subjective value-centered place as a feeling decider, or are you solely focused on logic? Once they understood that, those thinking deciders then started to understand they too had feeling deciding in them. They just didn't exercise it as often as they should have or could have. And so that self-awareness in and of itself it really with a couple of leaders, man, they came back to me and they said, look, um, I want more of this because I know now that there are things I don't know that are, that's influencing how I show up. And I know the way I'm showing up is not allowing me to get the result that I want, even though nobody's telling me that. I know that now just based on this one conversation that we had. So I see it, it all has to come back to self-awareness, right? understanding how I show up and then taking some ownership for that. Right. And then saying, okay, if I want to show up differently, that means I got to do something different. Well, let me, let me ask this. First of all, I want to have just a little bit of laughs with people. You know, people have been weighing in on, on some of what you said. So Terry said, sometimes you work with what you have, you handled it, doc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Raymond, my mentor always would say, in times of stress, you do what you do best. He used them hands. And I know Terry is gifted with the hands. But let me ask you this, because I want to just tie together a little bit of continuity of your story. When your when your leader said that to you, you've got a future here, help us to understand what that set off in your mind, because you still remember it today. And then I want you to also pick back up and just walk us through that conversation you had with your father that he wasn't ready for and what was happening. Because you said you grew up. So those were two pivotal moments in your uh, in your experience, your career. Just uh, tie back those. Yeah. I, you know, I think when I in terms of the conversation that I had a future. I didn't think about the Air Force as my future. I thought about the Air Force as coming in, doing my four years, getting right. out, you know, and going and doing something else, right? And so in that moment, it, it made me kind of think, okay, so can I have a future here? I mean, um, and what would that look like? Um, right. And I wasn't really, I, I still just wasn't sold on that, but because of the fact that this guy said that, and his job was to bring people in and train people to move on because he said that it made me think that, OK, maybe this guy is seeing something that I'm not seeing. Uh, so maybe this, too, is an option for me if indeed I want to try to get that done. Uh, so I guess 
it opened up my my paradigm a bit more broader than I think it was uh, beyond having a job, making some money uh, and, you know, having some lady friends. <laughs> now, right, right. there's something else, man, you can do here as well. So that started that process. Um, in regard to the, the, the conversation with my dad uh, about, hey, I might need for you to step in. Um, you, you know, I, I think there's, uh, that's, that's a really insightful question, man, because I, I think that um, to this day, I think that there's some things that are unresolved between he and I in terms of not being around when I was younger and, and some of the things that he did. Um, you know, with respect to how he engaged my mom. We haven't talked about those things yet because I just don't know how to do that or what I want to have happen as a result of that conversation. Yeah. But I'm working on it, I'm working on it right? right. Uh, and so I think in that moment, I think he, he, he felt like I was asking him for help and I don't know that he believed that he was worthy of me asking him, right? He, mm. there, there was, there was a lot of stuff in that conversation, man, uh, that he finally said, look, I, okay. He said, I'll, I'll do what I can, but I don't, you're going to be okay. He kept going back to that. Right. Um, right. right. But I, I, I think, and I think too, because of my late my relationship with my grandfather, I think that my grandfather actually functioned more as my dad than right. my dad did. And I think right. that my my dad used to talk to me through my grandfather. That makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and and so I, I think that, you know, somewhere in that process, um, I think that was a a, a moment of reality. Uh, for me and for him. And as I think back on it, you know, maybe part of that unsaid was if something did happen to me, then, you know, maybe the way that we had engaged up to that point in time, there was a lot of lost time. There was a lot of, there was not, not, not a whole lot of connection, right? There was, there was a space that was just there. And I know it was for me. And I, I got to believe it was for him too. And so if something would have happened to me, um, I can just imagine that might've been a void uh, that uh, maybe couldn't have been filled. Right, right. So one, one thing I was hearing, and I do not want to put words in your mouth or project anything on the relationship with your father and you. But what I heard was that your father in that moment at that time may not have had the tool to really address what you needed to be addressed. And it may not have been your need for help. And so now in your hindsight, you're, and I was watching you kind of think through it, like he may not have had the tool. Right. And, right. and I would say that in my relationships with others, uh, in self-reflection, even in the last year and a half, that I haven't had certain tools. Um, and that's a tough pill. As I'm listening, I'm like, man, did I did I respond right? And it keeps coming back to me. I, I don't know how. I, I don't know how to do that, right? And it can be embarrassing, a little bit shameful. Um, 
and that's why I love these conversations. Good, Tommy. I feel like I'm not alone in right. this in this this kind of struggle of life. Right. I, I think I think you, you you make a really great point, Tommy, and and I think that I think maybe it might have been both of us, right? not having the right tools to understand. I didn't have the tool to understand how to engage him. He didn't have right. the tool to understand how to, to, to bring it in. Uh, so I, I, man, it's just tools, right? Access, you know, it's just so powerful, man. When, when you, you have access to tools and I'll just say this to you, Tommy, and, and I'll, I, 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 I'll minimize my, my input here. Um, I think it was last, was it last week when you talked about, forgiveness or saying, I'm sorry. Um, I too have been in situations like you mentioning right now where, you know, I, I engaged, was engaging somebody uh, and, and maybe I really wasn't totally present, even though I thought I was. And I walked away and I was like, man, I, did, what, what happened there? Did I, how did I leave that? Right. Yeah. And, I found myself going back and saying, look, can, can we schedule some time? I mean, just get away from everything, right? Because I don't know that I was present with you the way I should have been and I want to be, right? And so if we can schedule some time to get away from the noise and, and let's, let's unpack that. And you know what was inter interesting? Sometimes in my mind, I thought I wasn't there and I, and I thought I wasn't doing justice. And when I found out that they said, yo, I got what I needed, Reg, everything is good. Yeah, right. Right. Is, right. Like to your point, right? If it's a question mark in my head, I got to go back and circle back and make sure, right? Because I don't want to, to disrespect the opportunity to engage somebody in a meaningful way where we need to be engaging about something because I think that is the most sacred thing that I can offer somebody is the space to, to be present with me and me with them. And then they walk away with what they need. Uh, so uh, that that's kind of my, 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 my share back with you that Tommy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well received. Let's uh, let's, I want to contextualize something else too. So here you are having this conversation with your father you're thinking about now you're going to assignment that you might not survive. Uh, you start off with the mindset in the Air Force of I'm taking a job. And then now all of a sudden, now you're faced with this job might take my life. I want you to contextualize this for people of color out there who are bifurcated with this thinking of, does America love me? And am I willing to give my life for it? Mm. Did that creep in anywhere? I mean, you, you move from job now to now this could take my life. I'm having a conversation with my father that, that's suggesting that if I don't make it, where, where were you landing in terms of, because all of us, I'm gonna tell you, everybody acts like they're ready to give and ready to, to sacrifice. Uh, yeah. Most of us ain't really ready. Where were you at with that? You know, that's a good question. And and I don't even, I'll be honest with you, uh, as honest as I can be, I don't know where I was at with it beyond the fact that this was, this was the deal, right? right. Reg, they call your number. Yep, yep, yep. 
yeah. make sure all your fares in order. Right. I, I, wow. I, I, I didn't get. I didn't. I didn't go. Uh, it got called off. They didn't need me. Right. My thinking is, when I got on that plane to go, or when I landed there, that my whole paradigm would have changed because now I'm no longer thinking about this. I'm in it now, and now I got to figure out how to navigate this in a meaningful way. So I don't know that my mind had actually gotten to the point where I was processing it viscerally. I think that cognitively I knew that, okay, you got to get some things in order here, man, because if something goes wrong, you know, you don't want to have left certain things undone. Mm. Uh, So there are calls you need to kind of make. And I was kind of nervous about that because, you know, you start making calls like that and then people start getting anxious and they start worrying. And so, the, the call with my mom, I actually told my granddad, I said, look, man, I said, I need for you to call her mm-hmm. and talk to her. Because if I do that, I need for you to tell her that you are good, that you feel good about what's going on. Because if you tell her you feel good about it, she'll be okay with it. If I tell her it's going to be just all kind of alarm bells going off and uh, worst case scenario, and then now... I'm going to get sucked into that. And then, uh, you know, and so I, and so my granddad, uh, he was kind of like the, the hub, everybody kind of respected him, man. And, uh, and so he was able to take care of that for me. And uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I, I don't know if I, if I got there, Eric, in terms of really. I think that that's impressive in some ways because it shows the humanity of people and that a lot of stuff starts uh, shifting away from you. It's not a priority. Uh, you're literally in the uh, uh, in the eye of the storm. Uh, you're you're in the eye of the reality of life and death, and uh, having to consider that, having to ponder that, uh, it strips away a lot of the excess baggage. Yeah, and it puts us all, in many ways, in a similar boat. You know, I've got to have some conversations that I that I didn't uh, know that I'd have to have. So, what is that? How does that tie into Memorial Day? this weekend. I do want to get to that place to Chief Master Sergeant. We're going to need more time. But help us to understand the transition from that event to your growth and then talk about what Memorial Day and this weekend means in your mind. Well, I think uh, I think after that moment, uh, it really kind of made me think a whole lot differently, uh, not so much about me, but for the people that worked for me, right? Because uh, I think up until that point in time, my thought was it's a job. And so as long as they knew how to do the job, then I was good. But wow. then I started focusing more on, okay, look, um, we need to make sure that we understand, you know, the other responsibilities. If you get called to go do this, I don't want you trying to ramp up. I want you to make sure that now you have clarity about what needs to be done so we can work mm-hmm. on this so that if indeed that time comes, you're ready to rock and roll and you feel a whole lot more comfortable and secure because you know what you know, as opposed to having a lot of ambiguity surrounding what you're getting ready to do. So it made me take on uh, that role a whole lot more seriously. And I think um, as a, a, a payoff for that, I think people in leadership started looking at me differently because of how I showed up and I started uh, getting jobs to do things that were relegated for people that were senior to me in grade, uh, which created some challenges to navigate that, right? Because why you? 
what, what are you doing? Uh, because you got to be doing something nefarious or something that's, you know, mm. behind the scenes. Mm. And that was a challenge, man, trying to navigate that because all you're trying to do is, is be the best that you possibly can for the job. And it got to the point, man, where I had um, this was one guy, one commander. I really liked him a lot, did a lot of good things for him. And he wrote this letter to my gaining base. And he said to the commander, he said, look, this guy is the real deal. Challenge him, he'll deliver. This letter gets out in the organization, right? Mm-hmm. When I walk in, it's like, uh, okay, so show me what you know, right? That was kind of what the, what, what the process was like. And so, you know, again, back to your point, Tommy, in terms of tools, I had limited tools available. And so he said, show me what you know. I'm going to show you what I know. <laughs> right. We've got the key showing. <laughs> right. We're going to get a lot of showing done up in here. <laughs> Turning out things, man, getting all kind of awards and just, just, just getting it done. And then one day, this this older guy, man, he I never forget this dude, man. He called me to the side one day. He said, he said, Crane, I like you, man. He said, but you are not the smartest SOB in the world. <laughs> and he said, here's the deal. He said, if you don't right now start realizing how to bring people along with you. Mm. You are not going to be successful in this. Wow. Yes. Wow. And, you know, it, it, it didn't just sink in that day. It took some several other conversations, but he took the time to say, look, here is how you could handle that. He said, I realized that letter got out and that kind of touched you a little bit and you felt like you had to respond. I get that. He said, but there was so much more you could have done. Mm. You would if you would have thought outside of your own head and realize the value that you brought to this organization when you came here. That letter that commander sent, that letter was designed to allow this commander to utilize you in a much different way than you allowed that commander to use you because you got so self-absorbed in your ego, right? Come and on. He, 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 I mean, he, he, he pulled back to Curtis, man, and said, I'm going to lay this thing out for you. And it was probably the best conversation I ever had because I think in that moment, I truly realized, man, that I had a, a gift that I was not using the way the gift was did, was supposed to be used, and so it was a it was a turning point. Uh, Let me share this. This is what just came to me, man. This is so huge out of your experiences because we have. So here's what came to me: life is not about what happens to you. It's not even about how you respond. It's oftentimes about how you recover Mm. and learn. Mm. Because that's what you're showing us is that something happened. You responded in ways that weren't that helpful. You got some more information. Then you recover. That's what people need to know. Life is not what happens and how you respond. It's what happens, how you respond, good or bad. If it's bad, how do you recover from that? And that's what you've shown us in at least three different situations. Yeah. Something happened. <laughs> you, handled, you came out left with it. You, know, you handled it. <laughs> you got some new information and you recovered. And I think Tommy, Dr. Dr. Reggie, I think that's the part that we're missing. 
Yeah. Uh, the story is not a simple uh, life happened. I responded wonderfully and I'm successful today. Mm. No, mm. Uh, life happened. Sometimes I responded like an idiot. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I gave you what tools I had, you know, uh, and then I, I got a, I got a chance. I got a reprieve. I got a chance to learn. And I took that lesson to heart or it took a few more lessons. Yeah. Uh, and I finally got the message. And now I'm here to tell you that that's part of my positive experience. Man, it's powerful. Yeah. 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 I think um, I think feedback, man, is something that um, it's, it's powerful. Man. And it's something that um, I really have to work hard at, at feedback, um, accepting it and really hearing it the way that it was intended, because some people, when they give you feedback, they don't give it to you in a way where you can hear it, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that has an impact on how you receive it. And I, I worked on that really, really hard. And um, I recall this one supervisor I had uh, when you, you, you get an evaluation every year. And, and so every line in that evaluation is, is pretty important, right? So you don't want to waste a line with the with, with the throwaway. And in my evaluation, he, he wrote down, um, he said, uh, Crane, I really appreciate the way you listen. And so I read that, right? I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> and so I went to talk to him about that, right? And he said, let me tell you why I put that in there. He said, do you know how many times I have to repeat things to people who don't get what I'm, at, what I'm, what I'm saying? Don't understand it. Don't ask me the follow-up question to make sure they can get things right. He says, you and I sit down and we have a conversation about things. You go away, you get it done, and you bring it back. That saves me time. That It saves me time. It helps me develop you in a way you need to be developed. And you minimized my time in repeating and, and wasting my time. And so as he sat down and explained that to me, right, it just, it just made a whole lot more sense to me about little things that the tool that the feedback tool the understanding of you know whether you like it or not finding a way to to find what's in that feedback i mean maybe i don't like the way eric said it to me right but what did he say let's let's avoid the emotion and let's look at the content of what he said and is there some value in what he said Mm. well yeah there's some value in that right so now i can i can use that right in a way where it can help me uh to kind of move forward Tommy? Yeah, this, this is again profound. This is these are nuggets, gold nuggets, right? Uh, reusable tools. Uh, you know, my 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 toolkit is is filling up. Uh, and here's one reason why it is. Uh, that as I'm listening to Dr. Reggie Crane, I I hear a couple of things. I hear great wisdom. I hear lived experiences. I live some mistakes and missteps and and some heartaches. I hear some fisticuffs, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I also hear the humor and the laughter of victory. Mm. Wow. That's that's what I hear. I love that. So that inspires me that even as I'm listening, I'm going through my Rolodex of all the things I got to do, right? The mistakes I made this past week or two over the last year, 
and I, I'm having to, to, to retool to say, I do have the tools and I can laugh and smile at the end. I thank you, Dr. Crane, this morning, because over the last couple of months, I've been so engrossed in solving the problems that I think I've been creating additional problems. Mm. I really do now. That's good. I haven't, been, I haven't been smiling as much. It's not that I'm unhappy. It's I'm problem solving. Mm. Right. I'm right here. OK, we're, we'll figure it out. OK, let, let's grab a bite to eat. All right. Now, while we're eating, let's talk about this problem. All right. Then let's go to the movies. And, while we're at the movies, let's talk about this problem. Right. And people around me like, why are you looking like that, man? Go ahead and smile. And I am today, this weekend, Memorial Day, going to make a decision to, to release myself of the burdens. Mm, I love that. Yep. And be joyful and victorious in the lessons of today because tomorrow, God willing, when it comes, I can say, hey, you know, Dr. Crane, boy, he, you know, he went from the fisticuffs to the to the to the to the lessons learned, and I still saw him smiling. What was it about him, about what he took away from those challenges that allowed him to smile? Let me take that tool, put it into my toolkit, and smile just as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you for this morning, Dr. Crane. Mm. Let me add this to uh, that. I like uh, that you identified the laughter, Tommy, yeah. uh, because uh, Dr. Reggie, you've been laughing since the start of the show. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's what I love about it. Um, your laughter in many ways, uh, and the, the traits that you carry with you so well, uh, as talented as you are, as gifted as you are, as much success as you've had, you don't carry that on your shoulder for all to see. Right, right. What you carry is love, humility, laughter, and a thirst for learning mm. and an appreciation for others. Those are things that people in our society might define as weak. Mm. and you are strong. And so instead of bragging about yourself and bragging about who you are and all that you've done, which you have, you choose to be a humble learner. And so your laughter, excitement says, I'm so glad to be here yes. <laughs> with people that I admire and I'm going to get something out of this. Yeah but you never fully imagine all that you're giving. And people need to see that, how strong that is for a powerful role model and leader to be humble enough to be as a child, mm. to be a learner. Mm. And there's something in that for all of us. And so I'd ask you just to sort of share. We're coming to a close. I can't believe this has been the fastest show, hadn't it, Tommy? Yes, the I'm sorry, it's blown by, so we don't bring you back. But help us to understand because Chief Master Sergeant, one percent, almost by law, you know, you, you can only have one percent of all the Air Force can be a Chief Master Sergeant. So you get there. 
what were the lessons that you learned that helped you to get there? I, I think the biggest lesson, um, and this is going to sound like a broken record, the biggest record, I mean, the, the biggest lesson I learned is as you move up, it becomes more imperative to make sure that you are influencing the best decisions possible for the people in the organization. And I'll be totally honest with you, man. I, it was not my ambition to become a chief master sergeant. I, I didn't think I would get there um, because there's several times along my path where I've worked for leaders and they were making decisions or they were about to make decisions that was going to have a negative impact on people in the organization. And I would go to them and realizing, I said, look, you are going to make the decision because that's kind of how things go. But I would be remiss if I didn't sit down and explain to you the impact, the long-term, short-term impact of those decisions on the people in the organization. Mm. Sometimes those conversations went into the wee hours of the night, man. Um, and, you know, there were some voices being raised and that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I said, what? I always use the phrase, with all due respect, right? <laughs> right. Uh, realize that you are going to make the final decision. That's not my role. My role right. is to advise you and make sure you are making an informed decision so you can't make a decision and say you didn't know that was going to happen. Mm. So because of those conversations, man, I um, I never really thought that I was going to get there. And it didn't really bother me. I mean, I, I was okay with uh, whatever right. I was tired at. Just go ahead and move on. But I think that was the biggest thing. And I... You know, I'll give this one example, man. Uh, wow, that, uh, that's was, huge. Um, I was at this base, uh, my last my last base before I retired. Um, I had this guy that was really, really smart, man, uh, in, 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 the, in accounting systems. But he stuttered a lot, right? And people kind of shunned him for that, right? And when I got there, I made it a point to meet with everybody individually. And when he came in to meet with me, he was nervous. Uh, and he was stuttering. And I said, I said, look, man, um, I just want to understand how I can be of help to you. So I don't, I don't, I don't care about how we talk as long as we talk. Right. And I started trying to make sure that we, I, I spent special time with him because I knew he had been neglected and kind of sidetracked. And so this, this opportunity came up where the air force at the air force level in DC, they were rewriting the curriculum for that, that, that accounting field. And we got a, a call to identify our smartest person to go. Right away, he was the guy. Right. So my leadership said, well, no, we can't send him. And I said, why not? Well, because he you know, he stutters and he's, he's kind of militant. And I, I said, okay, here's the deal. They asked us for our best, right? Right. Whoa. He's our best. If he goes and if I will take the hit for that. You can blame me for that, right? But I said, I'll talk to him before we make any decisions. But I said, he's the guy. And so I went to him. I sat down. And I said, look, I want you to go. I know you're the best person. I know you can do the job. When you get there, if you have any problems, man, call me, right? Right. Not in this by yourself. Call me, and I'll make sure I help you out. That guy went there, man. He had no problems. He was the star of the show. And he sent me a note about six months ago and he said <clears throat> mm -hmm, i've been trying to be what you were to me yeah and, you know and it, it 
I didn't even know how to process that, man, because you, you show up, and I know this is true of you, Eric and Tommy, you show up the way you show up. You're not showing up because you want accolades. You're showing up because this is the work you're trying to do. And so after all these years for him to say that to me, it was just a, it was a powerful moment, man, where it just reinforced the whole idea. You have to make sure that you are careful about every relationship that you have, right? Because it's, it's just that important. You never know where that situation is going to lead somebody else, but you do what you can, where you are, what you have, and they'll be satisfied. Now, that's kind of how I try to process that. I want to say this in response to that because I want our community to hear this and for this to live on. So many people talk about inclusion. Mm. And I've been saying uh, and challenging our, our community that I don't think that anybody's naturally interested in, in inclusion. Everybody's interested in being included. Mm. And, and people of color will sometimes take exception to that and say, no, no, it's just the white man that doesn't. No, no. Everybody mm -hmm. struggles with it. But I think this story, this example is a powerful example for us all to hear that your character around inclusion is not a selfish desire on your part to just simply be included. But you're literally trying to live that out in your value system across everybody. And so you said, I looked at this individual and I was willing to put some skin in the game to stand up for them because it was right. Yeah. And I think that that, so if we're looking at what qualifies us to lead conversations, to lead this work around inclusion, I promise you, Dr. Reggie, it's not what you get in school. It's what you live out and demonstrate there. Mm -hmm. That's what this is about, man. It's not rocket science, is it, Tommy? No, it's not rocket science at all. You at just got to care deeply enough to get in this with people and say, this is the person. But that starts even before then. That starts at having the patience mm. to say that I'm willing to sit with you so that I actually can absorb who you are. And so often we miss that, Dr. Reggie. We yeah. miss that in our families. We miss that with our children. And though that's the, that's the substance of life right there, is making the time to sit with people, to get to know them. And as we do that, we're then in a position, I think, to meaningfully include them. Yeah. 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 Well, on this Memorial Day weekend, Tommy, uh, any closing words from you? Uh, it's been a fantastic and blessed conversation with Dr. Reggie Crane, Eric Ellis. I'm honored. Uh, I respect the service that was provided to this country, as well as the service that's provided to the community after uh, serving this country, Dr. Crane. Uh, you are honored. You're seen. Uh, you are appreciated. I thank you very much. I thank you as well, uh, Dr. Reggie Crane. Uh, I thank you as my brother. I thank you as my friend. I'm so grateful for the day that you said, can I sit in these focus groups? Yeah. And uh, you were such a wonderful asset there. Uh, you walk with a big stick, but you carry it humbly. And uh, I just appreciate you, man. And you have been a gift uh, to us and our community uh, today. The thing that I love about this, and I tell uh, Tommy this all the time, kind of selfishly, 
in some ways, we don't care if anybody else in the world sees the shows. We do, but we don't. We have the ball ourselves, man. And uh, if we get a chance to bring wonderful, kind people uh, to the conversation, man, we can go back and just uh, eat on this for a while. And so you've given, you've given us some food, uh, some sustenance for our lives, and we appreciate that. On this Memorial Day weekend, we thank you and all others who have served this country and put their lives on the line so that we might have our freedom. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. God bless. And we'll see you all next yeah. week.